and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian's going to be joining us uh, via the phone today to talk a little bit. And we're going to dive into cover crops on today's show as well. If you have agronomic questions of your own or would like to talk about your experience with cover crops, we sure welcome your call at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, lots going on this week. Once again, we're getting another week closer to planting on our farm and in other parts of the country, uh, farmers are rolling in the fields. What's on your mind today? Uh, what's on my mind is all the questions we've been getting in for the Ag PhD mailbag. I feel kind of bad because because we try to get back to people as quickly as we can. But this has been a year where I don't know if we've generated more questions than ever, but it certainly feels like it to me, in part because there's tremendous potential and everybody can see, oh, commodity prices are good, but there are all these concerns, whether it's new equipment that you're running, whether you're worried about all the input costs, uh, there are new weeds, new bugs, new diseases. I mean, just there are a lot of questions. So I think that's what we need to hit first, the Ag PhD mailbag. Our first question from Austin in Wisconsin. He said, we were out spreading some fertilizer on a new field that we picked up and noticed along some of the ditches, there's field horsetail. And I've heard from other people not to expect much better than 50 to 60% control on this weed. Wanted your opinion and your thoughts for the best way to try to control field horsetail. Yep. Gramoxone is about the best thing that you can do in advance of the crop or after the crop season. The other big thing is we typically see this in poorly drained areas. So if you put tile in the ground, if there is a drainage issue, and then we want you to look at the soil fertility. Try to get your soil fertility balanced in that area. And it, it, just from the way this email sounds, it doesn't sound like it's a big area. So I know fertilizer is expensive, but so what? In the short term, and if all we're talking about is a few acres, just get the soil balanced there in terms of fertility. So if you fix the drainage and the fertility, what I'm saying is now you should be able to raise a better crop. And the nice thing with field horsetail or scouring rush, they don't grow very tall, so you can choke them out over time. But they are field horsetail and scouring rush. They are perennial weeds. So just knocking them back with gramoxone isn't going to permanently, permanently eliminate them. But we just don't know what else to do. We've tried everything else under the sun, and there's nothing else that seems to work great. Hey, the other thing to think about here, Austin, he said it's along the ditches. Do the ditches need to be cleaned out? I know we have a field that we're farming that we just put a lot of work into cleaning out ditches. And, man, it was amazing how much uh, how much that has improved things already, at least by the looks of things. We'll see how it turns out. What do you mean by cleaned year. out, though? Ditches cleaned out by what? Well, I'm just saying you, out of what? we've got field horsetail, and it's along the ditches in this question. So my thought was, Maybe the ditches are, are not cleaned out and, uh, in other words, holding back some water around the edges of the field. It okay, might not be a tiling I mean. situation. It might just be the ditches need to get cleaned out and then everything would be fine again. So the water can flow. Yes, I've, okay, yeah. I've seen that quite often with that particular weed, that it's in areas where the ditches just need some maintenance. So that may be something to take a look at, too. Hey, thanks, Austin. Yep. We really appreciate the question. Uh, get this one in. This is from Doug, and he sent in some soil tests, Brian, and uh, he's got an irrigated piece of ground that he'd love to get 230 bushel corn and 70 bushel beans on. They're doing some surface drainage now, but they're 
they're possibly going to get it tiled this fall. And he said it's really interesting. There's, they took 34 samples from this field. They've got uh, samples 27 to 34 had hogs on them. They've got 10% base saturation K up to 14% on uh, 15 CEC soils and 1,000 yep. parts per million of phosphorus and 12% mag. It looks, I mean, it looks amazing. Like you could grow a lot of crops there without yep. having to add P and K. So I think you handle that part right. of the field different. But they said the other part of the field, we've got a little heavier right. so soil. Wait, 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 stop. So literally on that air, in that area, you put on no more P and K. So I take a look hard at the micronutrients there. Sulfur is less than 10 parts per million and boron is a half a part per million. There you go. Yep. yep. Okay. Now to the other areas. Okay. So sulfur and boron, that's where you spend money in that part of the farm. Uh, then the rest of the field, they've got either uh, about half of the field is one to 2% base saturation K and other parts, uh, another half of the field is about 3% base saturation K. So they need a little more and it's mostly 20% magnesium ground on 20 to 25 CEC soils. They, they still have yep. the same problem with boron. looks like the only micro that's really low, and sulfur's low across the whole farm. they got 4% organic matter to work with. So how big a deal is that magnesium going to be on that ground, or do you just focus on building up the potassium? Well, I'm going to build up everything else. How's the phosphorus level? Uh, 100 pounds of P, according to a Malik 3. Okay, so in other words, not much. There's not much phosphorus there. That's only 50 parts per million, and a Malik 3 is going to be like a P2. So that's what's available now and what's available next summer. So, I mean, it's not horrible, but I'm just saying it's not great. It's not like you have three years' worth or anything. You need to fertilize for crop removal, at least for phosphorus. Start building the K. Absolutely focus on sulfur, bore, and everything else. How high is the calcium percentage? Oh, the calcium's uh, upper 70s, almost 80. <clears throat> yeah, okay. So it's fine. So yeah, honestly, that's what I do. Is I just I I I just farm it basically as is, but I'd at least fertilize for the crop and and then be on a little bit of a build program for the K. And there's some pH as high as eight, so I think you're on the right track there. Get that tile in the ground if you've got but, a drainage issue yeah, out there. That'll help exactly. a lot. The surface drainage is yep. not going to help your pH, but subsurface drainage nope. can certainly do that. Uh, get a yes. comp, and then you need lots of sulfur. Okay. Uh, last one here uh, before the first break. Uh, this is from Joseph. How do you get good ground contact with herbicides in today's heavy residue minimum till fields? I wouldn't worry about it too much. It usually goes through the trash pretty well. Yeah, for the, for the most part. Just get it out there a little earlier so you have a little more time. And we're going to talk a little bit about how cover crops are going to play into that as well. We get a lot of questions around cover crops. Man, can I spray it on a standing cover crop? How much of it's going to get through that cover crop, wash off, and get down to the soil? Uh, we'll talk about that and much more and take your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. 
Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about cover crops. We get so many questions around this. It's a really fun topic, and, you know, I know cover crops have been used in years past, and and there have been some mixed results. There have been some guys that loved it and some guys that didn't, and it's, it's definitely having a resurgence across the United States and beyond, and it's been pretty fun to talk about and learn about and see what some of the benefits are and how it might fit into different rotations. So got some great guests on today. Also, if you've got some experience with cover crops and want to talk about that, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to uh, University of Wisconsin first. We've got Matt Ruark with us. Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Oh, I think this is the perfect way to start the show with somebody in the north. And I think one of the biggest frustrations that guys in the north have is, man, I love the idea. I think it would be great, but we just run out of growing season. So there's, it seems like, you know, following a wheat crop or something like that or a silage crop, there's some good opportunities. Uh, But but there may be in other crops as well. Just curious uh, what your thoughts are on that and what your research is showing, Matt. Uh, well, no, I'd agree 100%, right? Most of the, the interest in cover crops in Wisconsin is fueled um, by, you know, getting something planted after corn silage or uh, getting it planted after wheat or uh, some other processing crops and stuff like that. Uh, the trick is, yeah, we just don't have enough growing season left over after corn or beans. So most of the research we have is focused on, well, can we get it planted in corn and beans and get it growing so by the time we take uh you know take off the harvest uh, we already have something established and it's just you know you talked about mixed results this is just a prime example of 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 mixed results where some years it works great usually the first year anyone tries it right and then the second and then after that sometimes we have just uh, mixed results where some sometimes it doesn't establish as well it's just going to be a perpetual problem yeah, it, it is a challenge, and I know I can speak to the silage. We we did a lot of cover crop following silage this year, and, man, we caught rain just at the right time, and that is the key. You know, when we, when we catch some rain, man, it can work great for us. Uh, you know, what do you see where you're at in, in Wisconsin? Obviously, you get got a lot of different soils there, and 
for the most part, you guys normally catch some rain, but uh, mm-hmm. has that been a big limiting factor or is it just the sunlight and the warmth? Yeah, usually, yeah, sunlight and warmth, uh, especially if you want to get a lot of biomass growing, if you want a lot of coverage in the fall. Um, but usually most of our spring stands look really good. Um, we're mostly interested, especially for that erosion control, getting that stand established and, and having good coverage in the spring uh, to, to prevent some erosion losses that might happen with those spring rainfall events. So our bigger issue sometimes is putting on too much biomass if, uh, if, it, if, the, if it gets a really warm fall and it really takes off. So um, you know, we, we've had some, we've, we've had really good uh, success here in Wisconsin with, the, with that. You know, with the livestock industry in Wisconsin, I, I'm just curious about the manure application. I, we ended up putting some manure back on the acres where, where we did silage on and man, that worked great. And, and having the cover crop out there, we felt like we might catch any of that, um, readily available nitrogen and at least tie it up in that cover crop to to keep it in the field. What have you done around manure? I know you've got a lot of livestock producers there too. Mm-hmm. No, and I think especially in that, if you're talking corn silage, you get that manure out. Uh, if you need to put manure out on your fields early in September, October, you know, we're getting that nitrogen out really far in advance of that next uh, next season's crop. So the cover crop does a great job of trapping uh, that manure. So really big, you know, in terms of water quality benefits, uh, really, really big benefit to that. Um, and really we see that it can tie up some of that nitrogen, but actually we've seen it doesn't have to be a, uh, a huge negative effect, though. So I think what we've seen is we do have to adjust our nutrient management planning if using cover crops with manure because it does kind of tap into to that nitrogen. So there will be a little bit less nitrogen available for that, especially if that next crop is corn. There'll be a little bit less nitrogen available there, but uh, it's something that we can easily manage for. How about for grazing, Matt? Do you, do a lot of guys in Wisconsin get enough growth uh, in the fall that they're able to do some grazing on that? Yes. Yeah, I know there, there, there is a lot of that, and especially if you can, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're looking for fields to graze, we can, um, you know, especially on your early silage fields, uh, there's there's a great opportunity there. So we see that a lot. And there that ties into some interest too, where if you know that field's going to be taken in silage to get some cover crops planted a little bit early, maybe interseeded early, and you can get some other kind of cover crops planted, like uh, uh, get some clover or get some uh, radish, and then you've got a really nice uh, diverse stand for grazing. The guys that are doing reduced till have talked a lot about the winter annuals and how tough they've been to fight, but the cover crops have sure looked like a, a pretty nice solution for that, too. What have you seen in terms of, of weed suppression? Uh, so, so, you know, I don't think it necessarily, uh, you know, can alleviate 100% of the, uh, of, the, of the time. I think that especially in situations where you do have a lot of bare soil, Right, especially following like a winter wheat, you're really going to have it if you can manage that cover crop and have that cover crop smother out, you know, just that smothering effect of, of other weeds. I think you're in good shape. Um, but I do think that, yeah, yeah, having any sort of, you know, purposeful stand that's nice and thick will will choke out a lot of the a lot of the weeds. So um, and there's a lot of great weed science work being done on that. All right, a couple other questions for you here. When it comes to uh, just having a living crop in the field longer for the benefit of soil microbes, is there any kind of quantitative research that, that farmers uh, are 
are seeing now that that you could say, well, look here, we we see more uh, beneficial fungi, we see more beneficial bacteria, those types of things, more earthworms. Do you, do you have documentation of actual numbers of counts, or how can how can we prove that concept? Oh, that's a that's a great question. We've got a lot of uh, there's been a lot of work in Wisconsin and throughout the Midwest to to address this. And so the the trick is it's a long term game. So you know you think about the amount of um, you know think about the amount of carbon, the amount of plant material you're putting back into your ground after a corn a corn harvest. And think about you know with cover crops you're putting some back in, but not not nearly as much, right? So it's going to take several years to kind of see that benefit to to your soil microorganisms and to your, you know, into soil health and, and longer, a little bit longer term in terms of organic matter. Um, but there's, there's, there's a lot of documented uh, benefits in terms of the benefits to cover crops, long-term cover crops use on, on, uh, on soil bacteria. And you mentioned, you, you mentioned AMF. Uh, there's, there's the real benefit is that there's a lot of documented uh, benefit to promoting more of that AMF uh, growing in, in your soil and having a, a, a potential benefit to um, some, some extra nutrient uptake with AMF associations. The mycorrhizal fungi population, I know I can speak in South yep. Dakota, as we get into the drought-prone areas, that has made such a difference in how our crops have been able to handle drought. So I know it, it's a big deal for us out here, and a lot of guys are, are talking about that, especially coming out of a couple of tough, dry years. The other thing that, that guys in our area talk about, and we, we often run short of rainfall is what the yield impact is on the next crop. And some of the guys have said they've done better where they've killed the crop off kind of late in the fall and and tried to use any kind of winter precip, uh, early spring precip as a way to build the soil back up versus letting that crop, that cover crop live into the spring. They worried about it taking too much moisture. Uh, mm-hmm. What have you seen in Wisconsin? I almost wonder, you guys get kind of wet in the spring sometimes. I almost wonder if it'd be better to have a crop growing out there. Right. And see, that's the, exactly, and that's the big, uh, that's the big trade-off. So whenever I'm in the uh, North Dakota or South Dakota talking about cover crops, it's the complete opposite effect. You know, we, we, we don't mind a little bit of water uptake. We got, we have pretty wet spring. So having that cover crop out there can, can sometimes be a benefit to us, um, so, but it's a real trade-off. Cover crops do what we want them to do. They grow, but they're they're active living plant. They take up nutrients and they take up water. So, um, I, I don't. Yeah. So there there could be some limitations in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it's a fun topic, and it's certainly a little bit different with everybody's different farming operation and, and their particular geography. But really appreciate having Matt Ruark on here with University of Wisconsin to talk about cover crops. Matt, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We'll continue this discussion and take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always send us an email as well, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. 
Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest-yielding farmers, Updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. Talking cover crops on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us. Broadcasting from the Morton studio and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right. Also in Wisconsin, heading back to Wisconsin, we've got Damon Rabbi with us with Dairyland Aviation. Damon, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. So Matt Ruark was on just a little bit ago uh, from University of Wisconsin. He was saying one of the challenges for guys is we got a short growing season in the north. So they're looking a lot at interceding into corn and soybean crops that are out in the field already and get a head start so that in the fall uh, they can get some crop established. I I know you've got some experience with this. And uh, Matt said, you know, we normally get enough rain to get stuff going, but but it's not always perfect here. Uh, what's been your experience, Dan? Have you found some tricks of the trade to, to make things work better? You know, we've learned that uh, it has less to do with rainfall and more to do with the level of predation of the seed after it's applied. Interesting. Uh, particularly, um, uh, we've observed uh, a lot of, uh, if you have heavy slug populations, 
Uh, that time of year, the slugs are pretty actively feeding uh, when we do the September applications. They're kind of preparing for winter. There are many times a lot of the residue has been digested, so there isn't a lot of food for them to feed on when they come to the surface. And that freshly germinated um, small grain is apparently quite a delicacy to the slug. I um, bet. So yeah, they, they get this big gourmet been, meal just at the absolute right time for them. Yeah, and so... We talk to growers and ask them, you know, to give them some recommendations on how to scout for the slugs. And while there isn't necessarily any uh, peer-reviewed research done on on how many slugs you have to have per square foot to have a problem, I can say anecdotally, if you put out, uh, you know, a handful of boards out on your farm and you check them 24 hours later, uh, if you've got more than two or three slugs in a square foot, it's very likely that that seed is going to get consumed by them. And, and that's why we've seen better successes on sandier soil. And we've also had uh, better success on soil that's seen a lot of tillage over the years. It just doesn't seem to have the residue, uh, which then, you know, basically doesn't provide the slug food. And I'm not advocating for the tillage. I'm just yeah, just uh, observing. Kind of some, yeah, just just some, uh, just some observations. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it is interesting because uh, you're right. Uh, most guys, me included, would say, oh, we just didn't get enough rain to get a great take." But in the meantime, if uh, slugs are out there or some other pest that's going to uh, clean up a bunch of seed, I know we see when we seed cover crop, uh, a lot of times we get a lot of birds that come in and. Uh, they're they're just feeding like crazy out there. So I know you can certainly lose some of that seed. Do you find luck with some kinds of seed versus others? Uh, like, for example, with the slugs, do they do they seem to like a cereal rye better than than they like uh, an oil seed or something like that? Yeah, they do seem to be most interested in small grains. So, and it doesn't matter if it's cereal rye, wheat, triticale. Uh, the husked summer annuals, the oats and the spring barley, that husk is a little more difficult for them to get at or get through to get to the cotyledon. And so we do see that being a little less appetizing. But if we say we put out a mix, mix when they're done with the rye, they'll go right to the barley. In regards to the, to the um, legumes and uh, brassicas, they do seem to leave that alone more so than the, than the small grains. The issue we have with those seed species is that we're kind of running out of growing season to get those established. Sure, sure. It's really interesting. When you think about um, aerial application of cover cover crop seed, I just think about, man, how much of a payload can you carry? How much seed does it take as as you're spreading cover crop? What are kind of some standard mixes that you go out with, and, and what kind of rates do you put out per acre? You know, the majority of what we're doing is uh, anywhere from two-thirds of a bushel to one bushel of cereal rye. That's almost all the acres we're applying. Uh, it's taken a lot of years to, to kind of pin that down, but that has been the greatest success for us. And uh, the aircraft that we're operating have uh, 85 bushel hoppers. So uh, we're out there taking anywhere from an 80 to 100 acre load and 
getting across a lot of acres in a day, and that's really the big advantage to the airplane in, in the establishment of cover crop seeding is that uh, we can we can get across a large volume of acres in a real timely fashion, and uh, we can get it out there ahead of those rain showers and and uh, optimize that timing and growth. And I'd, I'd also add, you know, in Wisconsin, and I think it's this way across the U.S., we've been real active with growers who've been on equip contracts. And uh, if you're able to secure equip funding, that sure does take the risk out of determining if aerial seeding is going to work on your farm. And that program has worked out very well. We've been at this now for about 13 years of, of uh, fall seeding cover crops. And of course, the typical contract only lasts one to maybe five years. And um, those those uh, financial resources help you learn if it's going to work on your farm or not. And if the aerial seeding isn't working out, we see growers go to other methods. And uh, for those that it's working well on their farm, they've, they've stuck with the practice. And uh, we have customers that we're working for today that aren't, aren't seeing any cost shares. So um, something to look into if you're trying to figure out how to how to do this. Yeah, it's kind of fun to talk to guys who are several years ahead of you down the road to see, okay, what were the pros and cons here and, and where are you getting it to work? I really appreciate the the insight on the slug issue and also that you're having a little better luck where you've got low residue and sandier soils where the slugs aren't going to be a problem. Uh, when, when it comes to cereal rye, it seems to be one that takes off pretty easy. I know a lot of growers we talk to say, man, that was the easiest thing to get started out there. What do you see for growth when you're doing September seeding in Wisconsin? You know, the last year we had a really mild fall, so we could go out and look at it in November and uh, a lot of that cereal rye that was planted late August, early September was uh, midway up the shin. Um, of course, well, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like in spring. I expect it to be uh, quite beautiful, actually. And we've had other years where it's a cold fall. And um, frankly, that, that cereal rye is real spindly. And, and the, it looks like a really thin stand. Doesn't get to be much more than four to six inches tall. But frankly, we all know that that's not the time of year where the soil needs the protection. Uh, of course, the, our, our risk months are April, May, June, and even into July. And uh, as you well know, if you can get rye established, uh, it's going to do a tremendous amount of good come spring. And, and um, so it's all going to depend on the fall, what you're going to see in the fall. But in the spring, it's, it's really quite impressive. All right, so when you're out there late August and into September and you've got great big tall corn plants, a lot of growers that, that are nervous about starting this for the first time say, man, how much is trapped in the whirl of that corn? How much gets past that? And and uh, what do you do about that? Does that create any issues for you? Well, we were concerned about it at first. And actually, one of our uh, long-term customers in this, is he actually did a check uh, back in 2011. Uh, he had a, a home that was back in the middle of, a, of one of his fields that he wanted treated. Uh, that home was served by a blacktop driveway, and we were asked to seed across that. And then he went out with a one-foot square and just did seed counts on the soil surface. And uh, he compared the driveway within the field to the field itself. It was 20-inch corn, high-density population, 
uh, in southern Wisconsin on some really good soil. And uh, he said that there is about 5% of the seed that gets hung up in the corn plant. So uh, real easy to account for and uh, inconsequential. There's uh, really the whirl is filled with the tassel, so nothing's getting caught in the whirl. It's just at each uh, leaf collar. And uh, there's just very little getting caught inside those leaf collars. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, talking to Damon Rabbi with Dairyland Aviation over in Wisconsin. Damon, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the insight today. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer, Amaranth, or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will, because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Listen to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about cover crops. Probably one of the hottest topics uh, in agriculture. We get so many questions about 
different kinds of cover crops and how to manage cover crops and so forth that uh, we welcome your input on this topic today. If you've got some experience, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. How about in Indiana? How are cover crops working there? We've got our friend Roger Wenning on right now uh, over in Indiana. Roger, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, cold after two days of summer's time. Now we're winter time. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how that can switch this time of year. But you know what? The sun's going to come out. We're going to be planting crop here in not too much more than a month. So it's going to happen soon. Uh, planters in the shop getting worked on right now. Well, that's good. It's it's just a never-ending process in farming. I know that. Uh, just curious about cover crops a little bit. I know you do a lot of different things on your farm, and, and you, you're kind enough to host a field day and welcome people to come and see how some of these things are working, which I think is a great idea. It's just awesome to share knowledge and, and help other people see, well, what's it look like if I do things this way? So what's been your experience with cover crops? Well, I guess... I didn't know they were cover crops or that I was doing it, but I guess I started in the 80s. But I've been over 20 years 100% cover crop on everything. Uh, I tell you, on this tough soil that I've got, I think it saved me. It's really turned things around out here. Now, when you mentioned tough soils, Roger, what, what do you mean with tough soils? Because I, I talked to farmers in north-central Iowa where my dad grew up, and they say, oh, man, we got some tough soils. I'm like, you got four feet deep black dirt. That's not a tough soil. <laughs> I think tough soil is rocky. I think tough soil is very thin top soil. Uh, I, yeah. I can think of a lot of things that would be tougher, but uh, what, what is it for you in Indiana? Uh, well, it was all timber soils. And then we've had a couple glaciers, uh, so it's a light soil, not much topsoil, maybe six inches, eight if we're lucky. Uh, it's a silt loam on top. We got heavy clay underneath. Water couldn't penetrate it. Uh, just just ornery to work they'll be wet in the spring and dry in the summer so the cover crops have been able to open up our subsoil and allow roots to go down because we've got water down in there in the summer if it's dry sure sure there's water down there two three four feet deep so the cover crops uh which the one i fell in love with was annual ryegrass for this uh, tough stuff because it'll grow through that hard nasty and uh, wet and with the tiling and then the cover crops we've been able to open up and get roots down there and actually get some amazing yields i've been quite pleased but you just gotta and i credit cover crops with a a big part no till's been great i found out when i get the steel out of the soil uh, I quit recompacting it. Sure. So, uh, kind of a combination of a lot of things. But as you say, that cover crop's talking about them. They're a key component to the whole 
toolboxer. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, you one mentioned, of the main tools in there. You mentioned several things there that all really go together. And you mentioned, hey, once I quit doing tillage, I only got six. You only got six inches of topsoil to work with in the first place. That uh, let's not mess mm-hmm. that up. Let's work on soil structure and certainly cover crops play into that. Uh, then you mentioned the tile too, and I, I think one of the things that we love about tile, and everybody thinks, oh, it's just about water management. I think it's about oxygen management, and yes, we're, we're removing some water out of there that's in excess, but the big thing is it's opening up more air for all those microbes to live and for these cover crop roots to get deeper, and it just makes the whole system work, so I agree with you. I think there's just so many different tools that you got, and it's the combination of using all of them and, and just a whole bunch of experience that you got that, that's really making it work. Oh, yeah, that's what... Uh... I say you hit that exactly, talking about putting air because the good things in the soil are microbes in that. Are all, the good ones are almost all aerobic. So, yeah, what you said is exactly on. Well, okay, Roger, and, then tell us about this know, the, piece of it. What about residue breakdown? Because guys that talk to me that say, man, I'm having trouble getting residue to break down, we start talking about the soil a little bit, and we just find one of these one of these cogs is missing here. And, I mean, there's a lot of systems that can work, and maybe there's different soils where you need to do some tillage or, or you need to do a different cover crop than what you're doing or, or something like that. But uh, in this case, I mean, there's, there's this system that's working together, and I'm betting your residue breakdown is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Uh, I should have took a picture, and I didn't last fall. I was getting ready to put my weed in on the field. It had soybeans last year. The year before, we had 280 bushel corn on our twin rows, 44 population, so you can imagine the residue laying there. And then we put the beans in last year, and last fall putting the wheat, I couldn't find the corn rows to follow to see. Uh, I mean, there's just almost no stalks there. That's awesome. By getting the microbes, the earthworms, once you get things working the way they're supposed to, it's just amazing. And we can keep, you know, everybody talks stratification. I have done all kinds of testing at different depths for fertility and lime. And... You don't have stratification either with this no-till because of all the turnover we've got with the microbes, the earthworms, the roots running up and down. So I personally, (laughs) you're not going to take them away from me. We run a mix (laughs) now, and uh, that... That's the reason I'm still able to farm. So when actually. do you when do you seed covers? And I know if you've got a, a crop rotation, it's going to be maybe a little different depending on which crop you're following here or, or what you're doing. But are you seeding it in the crop? Are you seeding it after the crop comes off? How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> um, after beans, I normally run a uh, Phillips Harrow with an air seeder on it. I can get them off early enough. And I'm not worried about seeding cover crops a little later than most people do. If they don't get too much growth or don't, some of the species don't get going very good in the fall, they'll be there in the spring. Uh, I like to do that. I have a little more trouble with an airplane on my corn. I frequently run an airplane just to get them on a little sooner. Sure. And they seem to take off just fine that way. So on corn stalks. So I kind of... 
play it year to year how things are going to do. If I'm going to get the corn off early, I may work it in with the harrow, but otherwise, I generally fly it and the soybeans. Oh, sometimes I got one farm off a distance. A lot of times I'll fly them on even the soybeans there just so I don't have to go do it. But, sure. Uh, I've had pretty good luck. Yeah. yeah you know, whichever method, the guy can make work for his operation. And, and you know, year to year, there's a lot of variance, too. There's a difference in soil conditions and rainfall and uh, just the timing of yeah. everything. So you got to be willing to, to make a few adjustments along the way to, to make it all work out. But it's kind of fun right. seeing somebody that's been doing the same thing here for quite a while. It's kind of got a system down. And uh, like you say, in the tough ground, making the tough ground really produce and, and be fun to farm. My brother always says that. That's the thing he's liked. Since we started tiling, the drainage issue was... Was, was probably the worst thing we had on our farm. And once we, we got that fixed, he goes, man, it's a it's a heck of a lot more fun to farm. So yeah. uh, it's, well, it's kind of why I like talking with uh, Roger Wenning over in Indiana because Roger's having fun, and, and that's what it's all about. Roger, thank you so much. We're out of time here, but really appreciate all the insight and, and experience you're able to share. Okay, yeah, I love talking to you guys and like you pushing this stuff for us. You bet. Well, thanks, Roger. All right, we're talking cover crop on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, you heard how Roger does it. How do you do it? Uh, give us a call and let us know. We'd love to chat with you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. 
what does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product, it's peace of mind knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking cover crops on this show and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. It's Dr. John out in Maryland a little bit about what cover crop looks like on the East Coast and see how things are going there. John, thanks for joining us. Oh, hello. Good to talk to you. You know, when you think about cover crop in your part of the world, uh, where does that fit in the rotation? Is it after silage? Is it after small grains? Or are you doing it after every crop? No, mostly it's after either corn or beans if you can get it in over top. Uh, the problem with soybeans is if you try it on, is you got to be careful you don't get it on too early. You'll have a, a second crop to combine. Sure, so sure. So you want to make sure you, you don't want to get on too early. But uh, And we've tried a lot of different cover crops over the years. Um, from broad leaves to radishes to, you know, to, uh, all kinds of small grains with wheat, barley, uh, oats. We kind of tell you, if you can get them in early in the corn season, um, kind of like oats in a way, because um, if they get a hard freeze, they'll die. It seems like we like we get them in in September, early September, we get the oats in, and um, then they'll be there through most of the winter. And then by February, some we get a hard freeze late January. They've pretty much done their job, and it saves one application of uh, a herbicide. Where if you have wheat or something like that, or, or even barley, you have to use either some sort of a burn down on it to kill it. So it's if you use oats, you actually save yourself one trip to the field. Awesome. Yeah, we did a bunch of oats this year on our farm, and I will say you're absolutely right about that. We aren't going to need any burn down out there. It's, it worked just great. And, no, no. That's kind of what we were going for. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you just have to be willing to, now Maryland has a program where they where they pay you for cover crop, so we get paid. Um, it depends on when you plant it and what the crop is, but I'm going to say it's average of sixty dollars an acre, which more than covers your cost. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, for for all the taxes you got to pay, John, it's good they give a little bit of it back to you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> the only thing, yeah, like, the thing about like with oats, for example, is that um, we. Uh, um, you have to get in early, otherwise they, they don't let you plant them after October the 1st because they think it's too late, which it probably is. They don't get much go. I heard your previous caller say something about it will come up in the spring, yes, but it seems like if you get good growth in the fall, you uh, hold the nutrients and you keep the soil from uh, washing away if you can get some growth there in the fall of the year. 
Hey, holding the nutrients, that's that's a big deal on the East Coast. And that is. Uh, I know areas even in the Midwest, uh, you're going to be watched a lot closer than you have in the past. We need to listen to the guys who are in these areas that, uh, and learn from their experience. So what do you see with that? When you put the cover crop out there, uh, are you tracking it? Are you watching on soil tests or nitrate tests or anything like that? We've been It does seem like it uh, holds the uh, soil. So basically, your nutrients are attached to the soil particles. So, yes, it does seem to hold. Have we done a lot of testing? We haven't done a lot of testing. We've done some. Uh, like I say, uh, one thing I was going to mention that we kind of skipped over was that, like, we've put some radishes on before by helicopter or airplane, mostly helicopter around here. Um, but it seems like you'll have better luck if you get it on. Of course, the corn's still up and standing, but if you get on shorter season corn that you harvest first, it does much better because it gets the uh, sunlight into the into the earth. Because otherwise, if you have a late season corn, it doesn't seem like it ever gets enough growth to get going. Especially broadleaves. Once broadleaves gets cold weather, they just seem like they kind of stop growing. You know. Sure, sure. So, we have a bunch of uh, some acres of sweet corn, and we worked it in and then and no-till dr- drilled it, uh, the radishes in. And let me tell you, it really did. The field was just solid radishes. Now. I will say this, when it starts to rot, you will get a little smell in the air, <laughs> rotten radishes. But they are really opening up that soil. They'll, they'll go down. We've had them down as far as uh, the root 34, 32, 34 inches deep. So they're really opening that ground up. You know, they'll, grow, they'll, they'll grow right through a hard pan if you have one. And we did some turnips and radishes here, and what we found is it drew in the wildlife. We had lots of deer that were out there uh, enjoying well, that. Yeah. yeah, I guess that that's another thing. Yeah, they do um, – it does bring in some wildlife, but, um, and we, I would say our biggest one is probably wheat, even though it's probably not as desirable as some things because, but wheat will come up later in the year and still get a good, get good growth on before cold weather gets here, you know, but I don't think you get as much quite bang for your buck out of wheat as you do some of the other things, but it does cover the ground well. Well, it's it's nice when you've got a program to, to help you get started in this. And I know we were talking earlier um, uh, with Damon Rabby up in Wisconsin, and he said there are a lot of guys that were getting on the equip program, and, and that really takes the risk out of it if you've got uh, something like that, some program like that to help you get going. So in Maryland, are cover crops everywhere? Is just about everybody doing it, or are there still uh, a good number of guys that aren't? It's everywhere, and Maryland does have some priority areas, some watersheds that are priorities, which is all pretty much all of Maryland runs into the bay, not all of it, almost all of it. Um, and they do have priority, but and I would say that I would say probably 75 to 80 percent of the ground here probably has some kind of cover crop on it. Sure. So it's a pretty high number, really. Um, and we've had pretty good luck with just. You know, you can drill it or you can just spin it on. Seems like we've had pretty good luck just just broadcasting it. Yeah, we we did some oats this fall, and for us, uh, if we were able to just scratch it in the soil a little bit, and we caught some fall rain, man, mm-hmm. we we had it just took off great. For us, it's the our limiting factor is we're dryland farmers, and sometimes it just doesn't rain for a couple of months, and then it gets started right. so late we don't get great growth. But but we're early in this game too. It's something that a lot of guys uh, in our part of the world haven't really done unless they've had a, a corn silage or small grain rotation. So yeah, for the guys getting going on corn 
and bean ground, it's it's been uh, a little bit slower out here. Oh yeah, I'm sure. We well, we've probably been doing it. I would say probably 20 years, maybe a little longer. So it's, we've tried a lot of different things. And one thing I will say now, we have livestock too, and in Maryland, you still get paid as long as you don't harvest the crop. You can you can mow it, and then we sometimes we have lush crop there. We'll mow it in early May and wrap it for feed. Or sometimes if we let it go a little longer, as long as it doesn't go in the seed, you can mow it and we and uh, bale it and make straw for it, and we use it for bedding. As long as you use it on your own farm, you're not supposed to sell it. But as long as you use it on your own operation, you're allowed to do that. Interesting. Yeah, there's Which a lot another- of other. A lot of things to learn, a lot of options here. And like we had talked uh, earlier with one of our guests about grazing and those kinds of things as well. There's there's just uh, a, a lot of things you can do. You've got this ground. You've got more growing season left after you harvest a crop. Why not have something growing out in those those acres for a lot of different purposes? Uh, talking with John here out in Maryland. John, thank you so much. You've been really generous with your time and sharing a lot of info. So really appreciate that. Good luck to you heading towards spring. All right. Hope to see you all and everybody at the Commodity Classic this week. Absolutely. Yeah, say hi. Say hi if you're heading past. We'd love to chat with you a little bit. Uh, Got a few other questions that came in. I want to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag. Uh, One of them, this comes from Mark, and he said, you guys are talking about twin rows and and some of the different farmers that are doing that, some of the work you've done on that. What spacing were you using on your twin rows? Well, that's a great question, Mark, and and certainly there are a lot of options out there. It's an endless amount of options, but uh, we're we're using a 30-inch row planter on our farm. So when we were doing twin rows, they're basically on 30-inch centers, but then we had two rows that were roughly about seven and a half, eight inches apart. So that was our spacing. And then uh, if you can singulate the seed and alternate where those seeds are at. Wow, you've got some pretty ideal placement there if you've got the equipment to do that. But I know there are guys doing twin rows on a lot of different spacings out there, but but that's what we were doing, about 8 inches between. So then we had a 22-inch gap and then uh, uh, twin rows again. Hey, thanks, Mark. We appreciate the question. Uh, another question in, or, or comment, I should say. This comes in from Burr. I'm looking at the natural gas charts for the last 20 years, and I can see how bad farmers have been getting hosed on nitrogen fertilizer this year. Uh, I was in the fertilizer industry for 35 years. Yeah, Burr, you're right. Uh, it, it's You just got to run the numbers and watch some of these charts and see uh, see what the gap is there. You're right. It's, it's really expensive nitrogen this year. I got this one in from Bruce in Kansas. He said, I'm looking for an app that can help me identify weeds. Uh, and my sister Janelle said she uses the app Picture This. And it's usually pretty accurate. And it's free. So free is always a good thing. I, I've always wanted to have apps like that, too, since I was a kid. But that kind of forced Brian and me to, to get as good as we could on identifying all the weeds that we saw in our area. Uh, so there's certainly weeds that we don't know out there, but we know the ones of economic significance for us as well. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. We really appreciate that. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.